stories here to tell. Feed the fire, merry meat, dare to more than dabble. All are welcome at our hearth for a little bonfire babble. Bonfire babble. Welcome to the bonfire. Exploring magic with two modern witches. I'm Corey. And I'm Detta. And we are so excited. We are so excited today. Yeah, we really are. <laughs> we have Jenna Matlin here with us. And Corey and I are, we already got our fangirling out of the way before we started. Maybe about 15 a bit. minutes worth. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll try to keep it to a minimum. So <laughs> Jenna, in case you don't know, is a clairvoyant medium and has been reading since 1990 when she was like five or six years old. She is a full-time psychic and was named Best Spiritual Guru by Philadelphia Magazine in 2019. She is a leader in the tarot community with a Master of Science degree in organizational psychology and executive coaching. We will list all of her so. We will list all of her socials in the show notes because I am in love with her website. I follow her on Instagram. You can find her on YouTube most Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and on TikTok, which is also very fun. Her other two books are Have Tarot, Will Party and Have Tarot, Will Travel. I wanted to introduce her as my new therapist, but I respect her <laughs> boundaries, so I'm not going to do that. And uh, when you get to that chapter after you buy this book, which you will, uh, you'll know what you'll get a little bit more inside of what that joke's all about. She is available as an intuitive reader and so much more. Her book, Will You Give Me a Reading? What You Need to Read with Confidence, is a healing bomb, a journey to self-discovery, and has indeed made me more confident to read tarot publicly. I also now have the tools to create myself a map on how I'm going to re-enter the professional tarot world. I think Everyone, even if you're not a tarot reader, should read this book because it teaches you how to be a good human. So listeners, we are so excited to say, welcome, Jenna. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm doing great. And thank you for that, that just beautiful intro and generous intro. Um, I'm going to use that to preen for the next week or so. So appreciate that. <laughs> Deserved. Deserved. 100%. Oh my gosh, yeah. you too. You guys. <laughs> like we mentioned, we got all of our like major fangirling out of the way before we started recording. Uh, so we're a little calmer now, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But we have some really, I think, <sighs> look, all I know is that it took me a very long time to pare down the things I wanted to ask you to four. And... <laughs> Because I have so many notes in my book and things that are starred and underlined. You know when you get a book so good that you're like, I'm going to under underline the parts that I like. And then like every line is underlined and you're like, oh, no, <laughs> that was me with your book. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah. well, thank you. Yeah, I it's a I didn't realize it at the time. But looking back now at it with, you know, with the distance of some perspective, it really is a very thick book in terms of there's not much fluff at all in, in any of it. It's it's extraordinarily um, dense, but um, I, I hope approachable. Um, so, you know, it's really a resource guide that I hope people can come back to 
again and again as they grow in their own tarot practice. Oh, most oh, definitely. definitely. That, that is, is exactly, exactly how, how I, I described, described it, it. Yeah. to my mom. I was like, mom, I'm reading this book because we're doing an interview and I can't stop and it's so good. And I was like, the, the concepts are so meaty and important and, and they're kind of complicated concepts, but you write, with, you write them in such a way that I completely felt able to understand them like immediately very accessible and i was amazed that it was it's such a short book everyone i mean it looks like a short book and it's like worlds of information i don't know how you did it with that said let's go ahead and jump into our first question was there a specific moment that surprised you while writing will you give me a reading yeah so I'm just going to say that you guys did give me these questions ahead of time. So I did have some time to think about it. And I'm very intrigued by this question because when you sent it to me, you put like parentheses, which is we have some ideas about this question, but we want to see where you go with it. Yeah. And that made me very curious. So here's where I'm going to go with it. Okay. <laughs> the thing that surprised me, the hardest thing about writing the book was really my resistance it was like having to push a boulder up a mountain every single freaking day <sighs> from the moment I wrote the proposal to its finish. It was one of the hardest things I ever did, not because it was the most intellectually challenging thing I've ever done, but there was just this resistance sitting on me. And what was so surprising was how the resistance would change shape and form as I move through the process. So there's one point where, you know, it was, I can't remember what it was at first. It was like one kind of reason. Oh yes. It was like other people, masters in tarot, and they're going to just judge me or whatever. And I worked through it and it morphed into a certain kind of reader who hangs out on Facebook tarot groups all day. And they've been reading since like Adam and Eve. And, and like, she just sat on my shoulder and was like, well, I've been reading for 50 years and that's not how I do it. And I was like, Oh my God, please help me. <laughs> so for me, it was the resistance and having to cozy up to constant unrelenting discomfort all the time. Wow. And actually using that to fuel my my way forward. And and that's tough to do. So that's what surprised me, I think, as I was going through the process of writing the book. Wow. Okay. And the reason that I didn't want to give you prompts is for exactly, I never would have imagined that. And I never would have known that, Jenna, because it's so fluid. It's so, yeah. it's just a beautiful piece of work and so well-written. Wow. Well, Wow. It also speaks to the, not to give anything away, yeah. but there's a chapter about self-care mm -hmm. and that makes me think of that chapter where you're like, here are the things that will burn you out or, or like harm your ability to read. And one of them was that like, who am I to do this? Yeah. Like, the anxiety. Who, who am I? Like people are going to judge me and say that the way I do it is different or wrong. And, and it was such a reassuring book all the way through to say the way you do it is right if you're doing it true mm -hmm. and like that was so impactful that, that message it. that message is through the whole book mm -hmm. thank you you know it's only when we look back on ourselves over time do we understand that there's often maybe even an unconscious 
thread through our actions, right? And and we don't know that we're really doing it. But when I look back, there is this theme, both in Will You Give Me a Reading, but also my other two mm. self-published books. They're self-published just because they're so niche with a niche. A publisher is like, we're not going to make any money here. I'm sorry. It all comes down to when I went full-time in 2012, it really, I sat down and was like, what's the thing I do best out of all the things? And like many people who come into tarot, I was coming on the heels of a very traumatic event in my last job where it's just like, I can't do this anymore. So there really wasn't much professionalism, you know, the practicing of tarot yet, like it is now. And what was out there often those walk-in readers who are going to be like, I need $500 to buy, you know, to burn some candles for you, a lot of that going on. So there was no real roadmap. There were a few things like Christine Jett's tarot professional book, which was done many, many years ago. And I had to just figure it out. And that left me in some really hairy situations where I was taken advantage by people. Um, I was harmed. I never wanted another reader, if I could help it, to have to go through what I went through all by myself. And these books are all love letters for those readers. I'm going to get emotional because it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And I didn't know that's what I was doing. But looking back, I'm like, I never want someone just to feel like exploited or taken advantage of and they don't know. And I mean that from potential clients you know, or a friend or however people get triggered and the way their triggers could harm you when you know you're coming with best intentions. So that was a huge motivator and it still drives me very much so today. Oh, no. Oh, I I was just going to say that must be why there's so much teaching about being a good human in this book and you do it so well and so powerfully with kindness and compassion to us that it's no shame. There's no shame at all about how we're going to come to be that good reader. That just shines through. I'm still so sorry that you had to go through that. Thank you. by yourself. Thank you. Thank you for being here for everybody now. And I will say, as a person who just freshly read this, that support and empowerment is woven through every single page mm-hmm. of all mm-hmm. of it and like it's more concrete at the end when you specifically go through like the things that you do to take care of and protect yourself but like that support and it's very like big sisterly it's very yes. like hey i went through the shit and i'm going to help you so you don't have to go through that shit and it was just it was very it feels very supported and very I felt like you were writing to me, like, like when, when I, was. I was reading it. I was, so. I was writing to you, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that came across, is what I'm good. saying. Good, yeah. good, good. Yeah, there was a moment with that resistance piece, and I was just like, I was like, I am like, I'm losing it, you know? And it's really, you know, the, the more you're pushing yourself, you know, out of your comfort zone, the louder that resistance kind of gets. And I was talking to Nancy Antonucci, um, you know, author of like, psychic tarot and tarot rituals. And I was like, I am really like struggling. And she's like, Jenna, like, try to transmute that into the person you you want to, who you want, speak to them. Just don't worry about them. Worry about the people you want to speak to. 
And that's, that's what I did was, you know, I want to speak to you, (laughs) you who are sitting, hiding your tarot deck and like never really even getting better because you're too scared to make a mistake or, or you take on what's not really yours to carry. Um, Mm. Because I believe tarot is just a beautiful tool, a beautiful tool. If we allow, you know, you know how it is, like with the content marketing and the social media, mm-hmm. it's very easy for someone who is a narcissist to rise to the top very easily. And they can platform themselves in a way that can cause a lot of harm. So if I, and this book can encourage those who aren't narcissists to empower them so that they are reading as ethically, as clearly, and as kindly to themselves and the other as possible, then we I just empowered the community to help people better or more. Mm-hmm. And that was the goal too. Achieved. Yeah, right. I think so. Also Excellent segue moment. This is heavy, serious stuff we're talking about. But the book is not heavy or serious in a lot of spaces. I mentioned earlier, I made a lot of notes in my copy. And a lot of them were, I write, I draw emojis to describe like how I feel about a part. And most of my notes were that like laughing face where the eyes are all squinty and the mouth is open. Because it was just so funny. And it also like really lent to my sort of weird trait of just laughing at things that aren't necessarily probably that funny. But there's a lot of laughing smiley faces in there. How do you balance taking yourself seriously and taking a lot of great care like that, but not so seriously that you lose the fun of reading? (laughs) Yeah. So um, I I don't take myself seriously a lot of the time. Like I, I have a very comedic mind. But I take the concerns and the questions of my querents absolutely seriously. And so I deploy humor as needed. If that is driving the the ability to absorb what's coming up, or I deploy humor as a way to cut like energy that may be too intense or unhelpful. And then finally, um, I think tarot itself can have a sense of humor. Like I was, I was thinking about, I couldn't think of the exact like example um, to share right for that. But there's been times I was like, yeah, tell me something. I didn't know tarot. Like that sometimes it can be funny in the way it speaks and the voice it speaks in. So I, as a reader, as a professional reader, people don't come for funny, you know? Um, And so I, that's why I enjoy doing gallery readings or party readings because then I can be funnier in the way that I read. So I always crack my favorite joke when I do gallery readings. The more you drink, the more accurate I get. Like I get to have, like, have fun. So, you know, so, but, but I also think that there is an art to humor and that, that humor is often the expression of those who've been exploited. Right. And so humor is a way of reframing things that can be difficult or hard. Um, so I, I use it as a tool, but sometimes I have to I have to pull back um, if if I don't think that they're going to hear the humor in the way that it's intended. Um, 
so I'm glad I actually toned it down. I think I was funnier. And then I pulled back on the <laughs> because that's the thing too. It's like, I, I struggle with that because, you know, there's so much of this like type, which is super woo woo, super like, yes, like the moon is in what, you know, my crystals and like, but like laughter is also medicine. And, um, I don't want to feel like I'm putting myself in some kind of like tropey box and that to be funny means I'm less whatever, less psychic or less uh, helpful that I can still be my myself as I, as I read for others and the way I, I read tarot. If, if that's, if that's a long answer to your It's question. a beautiful answer. <laughs> but, um, but Yeah. Oh, you know, and when I really started burning out, I did things to intentionally find humor. So for a while I was doing improv, which actually is really great for psychic ability, but I was doing improv just because I needed like two hours a week where I was just laughing and cutting up to kind of cut the heavy, sometimes very heavy energy of doing readings professionally. Yeah. And it, but it keeps those skills sharp, that mm -hmm. improv thinking on your feet, let it mm -hmm. come out. I loved that part of what you wrote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, sorry, I'm just like, I'm just thinking about now times that all my tarot decks have been funny. Like I've been roasted so hard by my tarot decks oh. before <laughs> yep. I read it. And I go, well, are you for real right now? Like, right, really? All right. Where it's just like a very funny or ironic pull. And I'm like, come on. Right, right, right. exactly. <laughs> And it's like, you know, that you're on your way as a reader when you get the tower and you're like, yeah, yeah. Tell me something I don't know already. Right. <laughs> when you're just like blase about it, yeah. you know, <laughs> please total spontaneous collapse. <laughs> That's right. just Wednesdays. Yeah, yeah. really. <laughs> Mr. Obvious. Oh thank you so much. Uh, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, speaking of the stories that our cards tell us. You, mm -hmm. Your focus on storytelling in this book uh, spoke to me deeply. Storytelling, Detta and I talk about it constantly. It's it's one of the most important things in my life. And I know that Detta tells a hell of a story, but your focus was a really inspiring angle for for reading the tarot. How would you describe like your perspective on storytelling, not just as a way to thread an answer together for the querent, which is like vital and important, but also to learn and create a relationship with the cards themselves? Yeah. Yeah. That was such a, you know, I got to applaud you guys on all of your questions. They were so well thought out, like amazing. Thank you for giving me the um, wonderful opportunity to play with these questions. Storytelling. So when I started reading tarot, I can tell you the exact day that I got my first deck given to me by a beautiful man who moonlighted as a drag queen along with a bunch of other drag queens where I lived. So talk about a start, right? And this is like in the nineties, right? So it's like, that's not like how it is now. And I was, I know the exact date because it was a couple of days after my birthday, we were watching OJ Simpson run it in his white Bronco. Wow. That's the exact date that I got my tarot deck for right or wrong. Oh. I need to dig into that. But, um, wow. yeah. So, my prior business when I started was called Queen of Wands Tarot. And people are like, are you a fire sign? Like, what's the correspondence? And the answer to that is no, my sun sign isn't that. However, tarot would always use page of wands when I knew it was talking to me until I hit about 30 and then it switched to Queen of Wands. 
tarot has a story for us about us when we pay attention, but we don't always see it unless we really do a lot of readings and start to build the relationship because every story is about relationships built over many little instances over time. So I would tell someone, don't worry about the story about tarot. It's going to show you the story, but that story is shifting. Worry about building a relationship with your deck and the stories will come. That's part of it. Um, my, my first degrees in anthropology, cultural anthropology was, was like kind of my area. And I really loved like folklore and the study of folklore history. I don't know if you guys saw, I've recently put part one up on my YouTube where the story of tarot is uh, the tower is actually wrong. And I have the evidence for it that the tower, basically what happened was when all the occultists, all the white guys who, who, in my opinion, took the art of reading tarot, probably from some woman who was illiterate yep, and then platformed themselves with it and then like became occultists and whatever for what, right or wrong. There's a conversation for another day. They, they changed the the story of of the tower. So the tower, right? We know is calamity. It's like the Tower of Babel. Like these are falling apart. But in the Middle Ages, when uh, the ta- the tower the tarot was being you know formulated, let's just say, at the same time you had mystery plays and miracle plays, which was how they converted a continent of people who were illiterate and couldn't read the Bible in their own language, much less in Latin. One of those powerful people of that time was St. Barbara. St. Barbara converted to Christianity. Then she, uh, basically long story short, you can go to my YouTube to watch it, but she built a tower and her her dad eventually, spoiler, dad eventually killed her because she did not recant her conversion. And lightning struck him immediately and killed him dead from God. And so if you look up St. Barbara, Wikipedia or whatever, it's a picture of a woman with a, with, with a tower. And this is the true story of the tower. But I've been doing research going all the way back to proto-Indo-European folklore, like memes, the meme plexes that are left that we understand. And I'm not going to, like, it's a, it's going to be another one, but, but basically the story of woman, fire, tower is always the same story, which is women's liberation from male oppression over and over and over again. So through that lens, and if you look at like an older Marseille, you'll see it's not two people falling out of the tower. It's one person falling, obviously. And another person looks like they're kind of escaping out the side. So that is the power of stories as well. And how those stories can be co-opted and determine the ways we interact with our own deck which is why I say there is no absolute truth here. It, it is you decide the story for you and tarot will show you that story if we let it. This is lo- sorry, long story, sh- to make a long story short, that's, that's part of this, this idea of folklore and storytelling and the human capacity to reconfigure, reconstruct and, and reserve 
an oldie but goodie over and over and over again. I love that. We talk about that a lot, actually, on the podcast, stories being co-opted and used for whether that's nefarious means or liberating means or whatever uh, stories, particularly about people. We just did an episode about Boudicca and how that story has been Mm -hmm. fiddled with and and co-opted. Totally. Yeah. The stuff you talk about, about storytelling and how the interpretations of the cards have been changing and not changing Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. changing and changing, uh, was fascinating to me. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, uh, in the book, uh, this is like, I know you guys said, we're not going to do spoilers, but I'm fine with it. Like in the book, you know, there's two chapters on the court cards and that was really hard. Like I was like, like it was like I finally had to like it was one of the hardest chapters because it it really needed to be two chapters and I was trying to not make it two but it was like nope this is what we're doing I'm like okay so an idea that I had a few years ago was to go through all of my little white books all of my regular tarot books from you know wait on and plunk into an excel spreadsheet all of the keyword descriptors of that core card to then create um, a word cloud. So you could actually see what has really been a, a stable way to describe the court card and what are either ones leaving or coming in. And so the story I share is the story of Queen of Swords, who basically, uh, when the French uh, developed their own version of playing cards from where the Marseille springs, the queens were first introduced. They weren't there before. And they were assigned, all the court cards of the the playing card deck were assigned famous and mythical people that were known to the people of that time or were popular. And Queen of Swords is the only queen that's named after a goddess, which is Athena. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Athena, as we all know, is... And she doesn't, she doesn't care about dudes. Like, get out of here. Like, get out of here. I'm <laughs> swiping. Me with that Le- mess. Just swiping. <laughs> what is it? I don't even know. Like, swiping I'm swiping left. the way that that, that like never, no. And yeah. I'm just here, out here living my life. Like, what the? so we watch, you can, you can actually see the story of that queen of swords being ground through history. So queen of swords or queen of spades is old maid. She's the old maid in, um, the old maid game. She also, there's a certain type of poker where she's just a super unfortunate bitch figure. It's always queen of spades. So then she eventually becomes queen of swords and tarot who, and I mean, let's think about it. Like this woman who's like, I, I don't care about dudes. I'm doing my own thing. But when we talk about Victoriana, which is a woman's highest calling is to be a mother and a wife She's reframed as a very tragic figure, isn't she? Right. So if you look at the oldest words to describe her, you see like widow, uh, like tragic, tragic, like just like, oh, she's just sad, depressed, whatever. But but it is being reclaimed and that story is shifting. But that's the thing. When you look at the word clouds of like the kings in the court card, it talks about what they do for a living. You know, what are their like professional competencies? But then when it's the women, it's around usually they're, if they're barren or not barren, or if they're going to cheat or not cheat. And so there is this sense of 
active reclaiming of who these court cards are outside of that, like highly gendered and frankly, misogynistic oh, yeah. framework. Yeah. Is it all right with you if I uh, take that thing you said and put it on a shirt so that I have a shirt that says super unfortunate bitch figure on it? <laughs> Is that yes, cool? Let's do this. <laughs> Amazing. Super unfortunate. <laughs> super what? unfortunate bitch figure is just like that's so punk rock sounding. But I do love I I love for for like that reason of cards getting new meanings, the 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 decks that are coming out now that are less gendered, they're more like personality forward instead. Mm-hmm, exactly. Big fan of that. Mm, that leads, yeah. That leads to the next question. But I will yes. just say before getting to that, I know you did that really well. Uh, <laughs> before getting to that, that those entire two chapters are phenomenally powerful. And I love that you brought it up right after you talked about creating relationships with the cards because that's what whole those new light everybody yeah holy smokes yeah yeah i pulled two court cards this morning or for you, this morning's tarot poll yeah what'd you get uh so it was the king of cups upside down uh-huh and then it was the queen of pentacles and then the third card was the hierophant upside down interesting and i read them in a completely different way than I normally would have because I was relationships there I'd never thought about. And like the court card chapters are so fucking cool, everybody. Yeah, they <laughs> like, really oh, are. So enlightening. Yeah. So enlightening. And like such a great way to create like movement in your readings. Mm. Like, take in the directions of where they're looking and like how do they sit and how do they feel? Like it was just so I'm glad it was two chapters. I could read a yeah, whole book it was just about two. court cards. I, you know what? I tried. And uh, Llewellyn was like, nah, we're good. Like that two chapters is from a, a book proposal I like threw in threw in, and they were like, nah. <laughs> hey, Llewellyn, I'd buy it. I would buy oh, it. Yeah. I, uh, if I brought it up now, maybe they'd be like, oh, well, Marcus, we'll see, you know. <laughs> yeah. Marcus, Marcus, yeah. make it happen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, because yeah. it is. And I think so many people or at least tarot readers that I know have created a relationship with a card and they absolutely string them together when they're doing a reading and telling the story to making it a beginning, middle and an end. But the way that you had them talking to each other and yeah. what that relation, it's just powerful. Y'all have to buy the book and go read it. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a question for you guys. Like yeah. what court cards, what court card or court cards do you feel speak to who you are? Do you know, do you, like, I is do. that? So here's what's so weird. I, just like the goddess that uh, I was a huge surprise, the queen of swords, swords mm-hmm. was a swords. huge surprise for mm. me. I was like, really? Uh, okay. Okay. I think what if I you? had to pick, I'm like between two, mm-hmm. which I think is like, the page of pentacles mm-hmm. and the queen of cups mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that feels very much because like i'm gro- i'm in a moment of growth right now mm-hmm. and like evolution and so to pick one doesn't feel right but like that sort of movement mm-hmm. feels right to me yeah interesting mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think we're often more than one or we're 
like one of the coolest and earliest insights I had, maybe like two years into reading full time, was really seeing two queens show up around a love reading. And the one that was forward was Queen of Swords. The one that was back was Queen of Cups. So I was like, oh my God, those are both you. But that Queen of Swords is that protector queen who showed up to protect the Cups queen. And I often see that uh, in in readings and I'm like, oh. So, I mean, there's a question we're going to ask later on um, that I was going to mention this, but I think this is a good point now. Do you want to jump to that? We totally uh, can. Oh, yeah. we can? Yeah. Oh, well, I was looking just like like your influences and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So, yeah. So I remember you in the list you gave me, um, I'm looking at, where was it? Oh, the particular teachers, the, authors, yes, 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 yes. psychos. Because I <laughs> think psychos. Psychos. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's a really powerful teaching tool that you've created here in this book. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Why, thank you. Thank you. It was only many, many years later that I realized that what I was doing was very similar to this uh, kind of new to most people psychological approach, which is internal family systems, IFS. And when I read a book about IFS, Robert Schwartz, wonderful, um, was about we all have parts within us, right? We have protector parts. We have inner exiles, inner children. We have firefighter parts, all of that good stuff. And I tend to typically see court cards depending on context in that way, which is we're not just one court card, but often a couple will show up. Often when we are, and and we come to tarot, right? When there's some kind of internal fight going on, that can often be very unconscious. And those multiple court cards will show up for me in a reading and it will be like, oh, here's who's showing up to this. Um, and this is where the conflict comes. So um, IFS has been like a piece that informs the way I read tarot. Like other things is... Uh, the School of Hard Knocks. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> uh, that I've heard I, of that I, one. Yeah, yeah. You know, as much as I try to be empathetic and compassionate and all of that, I also want to be a real straight shooter and not, you know, beat around the bush, as it were, if if I'm really seeing something. Because I have, we have to play, we have to do this dance between not triggering somebody in a way that's irresponsible but my personal approach as a reader is to ride that line because maybe my my executive coaching background coaches push you coaches intentionally get better performance out of you by trying to get you to be at that edge and so for me if i only get you for an hour you can you can like feel how you want about the session but it's recorded and i want you to be able to come back to this when you're ready but I wanted to give it to you. That's part of it. Who else has informed me? Uh, Rupert Sheldrake. He's a biologist. And then he started writing about psychic phenomena. He did a book called The Sense of Being Stared At. He did one around how your animals know you're coming home without that's like, there's really telepathy actually going on. His take on what's called the morphic fields 
very much informs the way I I read. And then um, maybe the three, you know, the three, like the two tarot greats, like Rachel Pollack is a huge influence. Mary, Mary Greer. Mary Greer says something I think about all the time, which is when you're in session with another client, it, there should be like this tension around it. Like there's like a rubber band around you, the querent and the cards. And I was like, yeah, oh my God, it's so perfect. And then of course, Nancy Antonucci, who wrote Psychic Tarot, mm. which was the only, only book I've ever read where I was like, this person's really psychic and they're not, they're not lying. Not to say that other, like, like I'm not going to implicate it, but you know what I mean? Like a lot of people say things and I'm like, oh, well, that's not my experience as a psychic. And then, but, but reading Psychic Tarot and I highly recommend it. I was like, she is, yes, this is exactly me. But going back to Rachel Pollack, you were, we were talking about the time chapter. So maybe that's like this next question. So let's talk about the time chapter yeah. and then I'll, I'll tell you guys a story about Rachel Pollack. That is part one of our interview with Jenna Maitland. Please come back for part two next week where we get into time and what is it and the construct of time and so much more. Thanks for listening. Please, if you are so inclined, follow us on our socials, which is Instagram, Facebook and TikTok at Bonfire Babble Podcast. You can also follow us or join us on Patreon at Bonfire Babble Witches on Patreon and our website at bonfirebabble.com. You can also join our community on Discord by clicking the link in our link tree. If you're into snail mail, you can send us that at P.O. Box 16341, Seattle, Washington, 98116. And if you want to do that electronic thing, we're at bonfirebabblepodcast at gmail.com. Please also, if you have a moment, leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps us out. It also helps other people find us. Yeah, and if you do it on Apple where you can actually write something, we will shout you out your name. Thank you again for listening. Bonfire Babble Podcast recognizes that we live and record on the traditional lands of the Duwamish tribe. We honor their past and present stewardship of the beautiful land and the life-giving energy they provide. To learn more about the tribe, go to realrentduwamish.org.